as with most people, there comes a point when they have to really think through for themselves if this is for them or not for them. Yes. And in my case, the turning point surrounded a physical healing that occurred through my own prayers. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm speaking in good faith today with Michelle Nanouche, CSB. What that means is Christian science, but also that she is authorized to prepare people to practice Christian science. Michelle, thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. And I just have to mention to everyone that you actually live near Paris and we'll all be jealous of croissants and all kinds of good food for just a second. It's a gift. It's a wonderful (laughs) place to live, and I would recommend to anybody to plan on making a trip there. In Christian science, you've been a nurse, a practitioner, you're a writer and a speaker. You travel around. In fact, you are in town today in Park City to give a community lecture sponsored by Christian Science Church, Angry No More, From Hurt to Health Through Forgiveness. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. It's uh, it's a wonderful opportunity. I love to work with audiences who are wanting to consider a a fresh view, a a new perspective on eliminating the negative impacts of anger from their lives. And that includes everybody. Everybody, everybody. We can all relate. In fact, I find that even as I'm preparing to give the lecture, I have ample opportunity, sometimes even the day of, to put into practice what I'm going to be preaching. Let me go way back for just a minute, and I do want to talk about the different aspects of health because it's mental, emotional, physical, all of these. Exactly. How did you grow up in faith? My faith journey, I was brought up in a in a church, in the Christian Science Church. My parents were not actually practicing Christian science, but they had a deep love and respect for the Bible and knew that the center of Christian Science Sunday Schools is Bible instruction. So they had their kids attend the Christian Science Sunday School. But as with most people, there comes a point no matter how uh, involved they may be or or what their religious education may be, there comes a point when they have to really think through for themselves if this is for them or not for them. Yes. And in my case, the turning point surrounded a physical healing that occurred through my own prayers. I impaled my foot on a rusty nail while mowing the lawn one day. I was about 12 years old. It was a moment of emergency and a moment of decision. I literally only lived three blocks from the hospital. It wasn't that I couldn't have gone to the hospital in order to have this treated, but I have to tell you something. When you have a nail in your foot, three blocks is really far. (laughs) I was standing there in the yard in this emergency situation. Nobody could hear me. My parents, my mom was inside, and it was just a fraction of an instant this thought came to me. Okay, I'm going to test all that stuff that I'd been hearing about, reading about in the Bible, that I'd been hearing about in Sunday school, about how God will heal you if you understand what God is and you pray. And so at that moment, it was one of those defining moments of this either works or it doesn't work. So I began to quite simply pray. And by this, I mean that my thought turned to a perspective of God as infinite divine love, 
that I had read about in the Bible, that I'd heard about from my Sunday school teachers, I couldn't see how a God of love would allow or permit his precious child to suffer. At that point, as I was opening up to this bigger sense of love in my, in my prayer, the pain stopped, and I was able to actually pull my foot off of the board with the nail, and I went into the house. Now, my mother, a loving and concerned parent, of course, saw this emergency and wanted to handle it right away, but I told her that I was praying about this, as I'd learned to do in my Sunday school class, and that the pain had stopped. And I wanted to try this Christian science thing. Well, she knew also that that hospital was three blocks away. And if this case wasn't going in the right direction, she would have been the first one to whip me up to the hospital. But instead, what she did was she helped me clean the wound and she bandaged it up. And I continued to pray for myself. And I'm pretty sure I don't think I ever asked her, but I'm pretty sure that she was praying as well. That evening, I hadn't felt anything throughout the day. I assumed that things were going well, and being a curious 12-year-old, I undid the bandage and looked and saw that the wound had closed, and it wasn't infected. There wasn't any redness or any sign of anger around that wound, so it was going in a good direction. And in the morning when I awakened, it was completely healed. It was gone. The, The wound was gone, which I'm sure for many people probably sounds almost miraculous, certainly an unexpected outcome. And I have to say that for myself, it felt pretty miraculous too. But it was a real turning point for me. Up to that point, I had been a very uncooperative Sunday school student. (laughs) I went in, I prepared all week where other kids would prepare by doing the homework. I would prepare by thinking up the questions I could ask to stump my teacher. At that point, my thought was really open to how do these things happen? I had just sort of touched the the surface, just the edges of the possibility of healing through prayer, but I had no real explanation for it. I became quite interested and devoted from that point on. And it's also what led me to go into Christian science nursing, which is non-medical physical care for those who are relying on the prayer system of Christian science for healing. I went in at an early age. I actually started unusually early. I was still in high school when I started my nurse's training. In some ways, your experience there mirrors that first healing experience of Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of Christian Science, with with her back injury. And I wonder if you would talk to me about the science part. She could have said, it's faith that does this, or it's religion that does this. But what is this aspect that brings in the word science, and what does that mean Mm. in this context? Okay. We all know that language evolves, and our concept of science has certainly evolved and changed, even over the last 100 years, as science has taken on more of a definition of that which is related to physical phenomena and physical outcomes. Observable physically. Exactly, exactly. And to the extent that Christian science healing is observable, it would fit under that classification of science. The term science in its original meaning is literally true knowledge or knowledge of the truth. 
And in that sense,、hmm. where Mary Baker Eddy pulled in the sense of science around Christianity and the teachings and practice of Christ Jesus, was that she went beyond and behind simply just classifying the works of Jesus and of the disciples and apostles, and even before them of the prophets and the amazing experiences that they had. Taking off simply the idea that they were miracle workers, to they had a body of knowledge, knowledge of the true nature of God and the true nature of reality, and through that knowledge, were able to look past, through, beyond whatever the temporary set of. Negative circumstances, the disease or the sin or whatever, was in order to see the permanent relationship between God and man, and that that recognition of seeing man as made as God makes us to be enabled them to heal. So, what she was looking for after her own experience of healing, and I, I have to give you high marks for knowing about that story. <laughs> I'm usually the one who has to tell well, that story. Well, I've actually visited the Mother Church in、oh, Boston as well. Well, good for you. Good for You and I love informed <laughs> interviewers, <laughs> so this is great. But she had had several experiences with healing prayer, none of which, although they they certainly reinforced her faith in the fact that God existed, with each one of them, including this particular healing where she had suffered the severe back injury. None of these experiences told her how the healings were happening,、mm. and so you could say that that experience you're talking of, where she had a, a spontaneous, very quick recovery after she simply read an account of Jesus healing someone, she caught a glimpse of this true knowledge or the fact that this was a universal principle or understanding that is present with us today as much as it was present with Christ Jesus to heal. It opened a door to a nine-year period of research to look more deeply into what it was that Jesus knew of God. What did he teach? What did he practice? What did he expect his followers to understand and practice in order to heal? That's what she sought, and that's the Christian Science that she discovered. You write extensively. You have a website, Michelle Nanouche CSB. dot com.、Mm-hmm. I pulled out just a few of the many subjects. These are just categories. You've written numerous articles or done interviews on each of them, from healing through scientific prayer, healing grief and depression, prayer in emergency.、Uh, we know where you got that from.、Mm-hmm. <laughs> prayer for church, community, and world wholeness, balance, and body. Finding direction, reducing stress, finding guidance, relationships, and marriage, work, and career, and of course.、Uh, The one you're lecturing on here, anger no more.、Mm-hmm. A couple questions about these. Here is a spectrum of human experience that、sure. each of us can check off several of these. Like, well, I kind of want to hear about that one, so I may reveal some personal biases. One is talking about healing through scientific prayer. As as we've been talking, is it possible to sum up briefly how that is different from other prayers where we might express longing or express gratitude?、Mm. Prayer is a heart's desire,、mm. and all prayer is good and effective as far as it goes. Prayers of gratitude are, are healing prayers. 
prayers of desire, where we let our desires be lifted from the mundane, just I want a new car, to really longing for, uh, yearning for a transformation of one's heart that opens one to new experiences and new views of divine goodness. These are healing prayers. The methodology of Christian Science prayer treatment, for example, in the healing of sickness or in the really, as you mentioned, it's a broad spectrum. The practice of Christian Science applies to all aspects of human experience. I think the best model that we have for that type of prayer is the Lord's Prayer, which is in the Sermon on the、mm. Mount. The Lord's Prayer is an affirming prayer that takes the one who's praying it out of their problem and plunges them deep into the solution, into a broader, deeper understanding and knowledge of God. Right from the beginning, the Lord's Prayer begins with "Our Father." Well, the moment that you begin praying and you turn your thought sincerely, honestly, to having a a clearer, larger sense of God. In the circumstance, you're actually having to turn away from the problem as being the most important subject in that prayer. I would just echo with a few teeny personal experiences.、Mm-hmm. Uh, as a new father,、mm-hmm. you know, I thought I was a patient person till I had children, then discovered the actual truth.、Mm-hmm. But I remember finding, just stumbling upon, that sometimes in a tense situation, I would just say in my mind, as briefly as this, "Father, I am very frustrated right now."、Mm. And I experienced what you just talked about of being taken out of the sort of antagonism and into a better place to deal with my child.、Mm-hmm. In Is, fact, that's what you're talking. That's、about? exactly what I'm talking about. I give an illustration in the lecture that I'll be giving tonight, addressing the subject of anger, of when my daughter, who was oh shoot, she was maybe 11 or 12, but she was just at that age where she was beginning to push back a little bit and kind of test boundaries with with her mom, and she had been、uh, just a little bit. Tough in the car, and I was feeling the anger kind of rise <laughs> up within me, and I began to do what many parents do when their kids are pushing back. I began to count to three because I expected her to, you know, to kind of restore a moment of sanity there. So I started to count to three, and as I rounded number two and was heading towards three, she interrupted with, "You know, mommy, my friend's parents count to ten." <laughs> they, they get more time. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. And I turned to her because I wasn't going to let her win that discussion. I turned to her and said, "If you made me count to ten, I don't know what I would do." Just simply, you know, to show her that what she was asking was for the problem to persist that much longer. But actually, my counting to three had taken on the form of a prayer for me. Although she would hear one, two, three, what I was really praying was one. Divine love, who is God, is in control of me. Two, this same universal divine love that is God is in control of you. And three, divine love is controlling this entire set of circumstances. Rather than praying to bring God into the problem, God fix that kid. God fix me. God fix these circumstances. Instead. This three-count prayer was lifting me to see that love is the only thing that has power here,、mm. and it is divine. It's not just a human do-good sense of love, but this infinite, radiating, raining on the just and unjust, universal love has control of this moment, and it was effective. I found that turning to God in prayer that way would stop in. 
its tracks, whatever was trying to roll over me at that moment. One thing I wanted to ask was how you perceive answers to prayers. It sounds to me like this is not an uncommon experience in your life. What is that perception? Is it an idea, the way things work out, or you feel some direction, maybe all of the above? I would go for all of the above. I would say that oftentimes the first answer to my prayer is a deep-seated sense of confidence and calm that all really is well, even if it looks terrible, even if it seems like things are in a total state of chaos. That would definitely be a first step because in prayer, I'm yielding to the fact that while I may not be the authority on what's going on, that the authority, the divine authority is present and in control of the situation. But I fully expect from my prayers that the outcome is health, that the outcome is harmony, that it's a restoration to order and peace. And I find that that expectation, be it slow or be it fast, to appear that that's just the natural outcome. If I'm finding that my prayers are circular, that my sense of praying without ceasing isn't rising to an inspired awareness of God's presence and power, but rather is more me reaching and and pleading for God to come in and fix my mess. In other Mm -hmm. words, the mess is still the subject, that my prayer is flipped upside down. My focus is not where it needs to be. This is where the healing Christ comes in, that true understanding of God as this universal and divine love that is beckoning and calling us out of the darkness into the light. Healing prayer is operating in that light. Even if the circumstances may seem quite dark, we can still find the light there. And speaking of finding light, and I think of finding ways to let go, as you said, of the mess and focusing on that, a little bit that I've heard online in doing research with your lecture about angry no more from hurt to health through forgiveness. There are hurts that are difficult to forgive, many. And I wonder if sometimes we're holding on to, if nothing bad's happening to this person, I'll just keep thinking how much they deserve something bad to happen. and. Mm-hmm. Does that just trap us, connect us, we stay chained to the experience? In many ways, I would say yes. At least that's been my experience. Um, It holds one in the position of being a victim, doesn't it? And especially if we feel that there's some injustice that is not receiving its just due on someone else's part, it keeps it keeps us chained under this umbrella of being a victim and being subject to someone else who is a victimizer. It keeps perpetuating the same cycle. And the community presentation that you're giving partly is sponsored by people wanting to deal with the very difficult issues, for instance, of spousal abuse or, mm-hmm. or other abuse. Mm-hmm. Where does someone start in the middle of all that, where something outside of them has come in and caused a trauma in their life. Sure. You know, not all traumas are easily identifiable. Sometimes things happen to us, and I think it's human nature to a certain degree to become rather skilled at either ignoring it, pushing it down, Mm -hmm. pushing it behind, bucking it up and moving on, and, you know, and not realizing that if it just is being suppressed or or pushed aside, that that isn't necessary or ignored. That's not necessarily dealing with the after effects. I know in my own life, I had been abused as a child. I was sexually abused as a young child and then again as a teenager. And 
And as these experiences were behind me and as I was moving forward, and particularly as I was on a spiritual journey, I I felt the best thing that I could do for myself at that point was just to plunge forward. Just don't think about these things. They're, you know, kind of put them in the classification of having no weight. Mm. And yet was still lingering there in thought. It's I certainly had the latent belief that I'd been through something, that I was a victim. I may have thought I was overcoming, but I was still holding on to that base. And it wasn't until early adulthood when I was struggling with what I would say could be considered post-traumatic stress coming from these early experiences, just being kind of tamped down, uh, that I was having relationship problems. I was having health problems. There were a number of issues I was not feeling good. And interesting that a spiritual or mental thing also has a physical effect. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, We're not compartmentalized beings. Our our spirituality is manifest in our human experience, and present human experience includes a physical form. So I found that in my life it was definitely taking the form of, of illness. I wasn't feeling good, but more interestingly, I didn't think I was good. There was this latent underlying argument I was constantly facing that I was not a good person. Person, hmm. that I wasn't deserving of good. It was that angle, actually, that when I became aware of it, of how negative my my thought was towards myself, while I wasn't prepared to necessarily go back and resolve some of these earlier issues, I hadn't looked at it in so long, it was really out of thought, I did know that it was unacceptable that I was abusing myself. And so my prayer life for that period, and it wasn't really long, it was only about six weeks, I would say, I committed myself to both prayer as well as Bible study to reacquaint myself with what it meant to be good. What did it really mean to be God's good daughter? Hmm. In other words, not what I saw in myself, but what does God see in me? I'll give you a tip. Just go to the dictionary. Go to an unabridged dictionary. I know most of us go on our our cell phones. It gives you the little short version. But go to an unabridged, one of those great big old fat, too heavy to carry dictionaries, and look up the word good. It goes three or four pages in the tiniest print you've ever read. And the definition is so expansive and so deep as to what it really means to be good. I began working with some of those ideas, identifying, looking for the indications that this is talking about me. This is the way that God sees me. This is how loved I am, that that whole dictionary definition is about me. As I did this, a transformation, it was so subtle, but it was taking place within me. I was beginning to become better acquainted with what I was, what I was made of. And it was towards the end of about six weeks of this spiritual work, all of a sudden, in fact, I was listening to the radio. It had changed its format. 70s music came on. And I mean, it was like a flood. That closet door I'd shoved those memories into flung open. And all of these images of the things that had happened to me came out. And you would think that I might have been crushed. The contrast between being good and being a victim was quite stark. And yet it wasn't that at all. It seemed that as something came out, a memory came out, what would rise up to meet it and knock it right away was something that I identified with in that definition of good. And ultimately, at the at the end of this kind of cleansing experience where I saw that none of those things, none of those experiences could actually change me, could actually touch the me 
that God creates me to be. I released the idea that I was a victim. It was a form of forgiveness. I think for many people, forgiveness is something between two people. I forgive you of the act you've committed against me. But I needed to start by forgiving, in other words, giving up to God, all of these aggressive memories that were trying to label me as being damaged, as being less than. And it was a powerful, transformative experience. I came across a a Bible passage. It's from the New English Bible, the translation that touched me the most. It's from Proverbs, where it says, Like the fluttering sparrow or the darting swallow, groundless abuse gets nowhere. And I saw that that abuse wasn't grounded in God. My permanent relationship, my health, is permanent in me because it's what God gives me. It's not something that can be affected by any other influence than the all in all, the all of all, the all that is, and that's God, God's goodness. It was quite transformative. There were many experiences afterwards, including meeting up with and being able to forgive the perpetrators to really, to really completely release any sense of carrying that dark past with me any further. I I go into that much more deeply in the lecture. But turning to deepening one's understanding of what God is and what God is doing for us, regaining that true knowledge of what we're made of, heals, heals. It really did wipe out that long list of post-traumatic stress stuff. I mean, my relationships returned to harmony. My physical health was transformed immediately. It has to have an effect. Mm. I wish we had another hour, but we don't. Mm. I'm wondering if I could ask a few questions. And if you feel okay about giving a brief answer, I'd love to include some of these uh, others. Absolutely. You teach people who want to be practitioners Mm -hmm. of Christian science. Yes. What are you looking for in someone to know that they are connecting with the principles or that they might be someone able to go on and teach others? Yes. Wonderful question. Morality is very important. A good record. In other words, just those Christian qualities. Christ Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at chapter 5 of Matthew, you see the many things that he expects to be cleansed out of one's experience to a certain degree, to make them a better transparency for that healing Christ to shine through their thought and their lives as they're helping others. And so you have the example in the Beatitudes, for example, all of those Christian qualities of being poor in spirit or being receptive to good, of being merciful, of being a peacemaker. And then there's the whole cleanup list of things that come later in chapter 5 to eliminate anger and reaction in its varied forms from, from slight annoyance to the big ticket items like murder, for example, to have that generous spirit that when someone asks for the cloak to give them their coat also. I think to sum it up, what we're looking for is the healer heart, a heart and a life that's being prepared for ministry. Because ultimately, Christian science practice is unselfish. It is a practice that involves willingly helping others awaken to their true being as God's child. I heard you say one time, this is not just positive thinking. 
Would you comment on that? What's, what's the difference? Because we do hear, think positively and good things will happen in your life. Human positivity is a good thing, and I would never put that down, absolutely. In fact, studies have been conducted that show that if one has a positive aspect, it does produce even better health outcomes when they're, when they're caring for themselves. So human positivity is a very good thing. However, in Christian science practice, I would consider it more effect than cause. It's not just simply holding on to a positive thought. One has to have the spiritual understanding that upholds that positive thought. In other words, to simply say all is well. When it's not. When it's not, (laughs) could appear to be simply positive thinking if one doesn't have the structural support of an understanding of why all is well. But we've seen people, concentration camps or others, that that felt still, uh, that famous poem uh, or three lines that were on the wall, I think it was Auschwitz, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when he is silent. So is that what you're talking about, a foundation, a a foundation? There is an understanding of what that love is, that it's not merely a, a visual, visible presence, but that it is a spiritual power that constitutes our being. It's not because we love God that we know what love is. It's because God loves us that we know what love is. We are actually made of that love. And having that understanding enables one to walk through very difficult circumstances when the opposite seems to be holding the floor. Did you have to learn to be comfortable talking about God in public? Oh, boy, did I. (laughs) Nobody was more scared of speaking publicly about this than I was. And, And actually, the door to this type of speaking opened to me rather early. I was in my I was in my early 30s when I was asked to begin to to speak publicly. But the way that it came to me was so sweet and so gentle. A local nursing home wanted inspirational talks on Wednesday afternoons. And I couldn't turn those people down. <laughs> I I mean, I was studying the Bible and loving what I was learning about God and about healing prayer in my own life and practice. But you know, here were people that were sincerely asking me to share a little bit of what I was learning. To me, it was an act of giving a cup of cold water in Christ's name. I'm grateful to say that because of the small beginnings, I just love how God kind of prepares us for the ministry. I was once told that the universe is always expanding, but it doesn't expand into a void. The space for that expansion is always being created for the expansion. And I found that in my public speaking work that just before I have to go do something that would otherwise scare me, something in my life prepares me for that next step. And we've all got it. We just don't have to be afraid of the opportunities that come. Are there things that you don't understand or have sought for but have not yet come to you that you just have to accept on faith? Lots. There's lots. Um... I think that as a Christian science lecturer and even a Christian science teacher, people would tend to look at people in those positions as being experts. But I spend way more time on my knees than I do in any other position. I'm always, I'm always seeking that true knowledge. But I would say that the faith that I have that is rock solid is faith that's rooted in an understanding of God's nature— To whatever degree we have that understanding, it's practical, 
and we're able to build on that through experience. Christian science isn't any different than any other science. We're working out our salvation in the laboratory of human experience. Sometimes the Bunsen burner blows. Sometimes (laughs) there's a big old mess. The question is, do we clean it up and then learn from these experiences and go forward? I think, as in any science, a great degree of humility is required to practice. It's very important to recognize that we have very much more to learn. I'd like to maybe end with where you began, which was, I believe you were 12 and mowing the lawn and stepped on a nail. And you mentioned the thought that God did not want his children to suffer. Absolutely. And yet there was abuse that Mm. happened in your life. We could go down the list when people say, how could I believe in God when this or that? Yeah. That is the most common thing that I hear. How could God allow? How could Mm. God allow this to happen to a small child? What little I've learned on that particular question, it's one that we're confronted with these images of horror and abuse in the world constantly. What I'm learning about this is that there is no God in the darkness. God is all light. Darkness is simply the belief of an absence of light. The more that I'm learning of God's eternal presence— the more I'm learning that these shadows that may have been cast in my experience have no actual substance. There's no God in them. It's not God allowing the darkness to be, but I'm outgrowing a false history. I'm outgrowing a belief that it's part of my story, that it's formative, that it has had a permanent impact or a permanent mark. I do not look at myself as a victim. I do see that for having these experiences in my human storyline, that it gives me wonderful tools of communication for helping others wake up from such experiences and shed, let go of the trappings that would try to keep pulling them back into the darkness. For me, it's more, okay, we can have a nightmare, but when we're awake— we're not controlled by that nightmare anymore. In fact, it dissolves. I, that's I would an say interesting that's, image. Yeah, that, that is more where, where I take that, that. Of course, everybody's experienced to some degree nightmares. However, upon awakening, it loses substance. You realize it doesn't have the control that it appeared to have while you were steeped in it. Just through, through being awake, it, one becomes aware that that conscious state is actually the real state. So for me, it's, it's awakening from a bad dream and not allowing it to have any more power. Let it dissolve, as dreams do. But the message of God is light, the message of good, that each one of us are safe and protected and cared for. And I have a strong conviction that as we understand more of the nature of this light, it has the ability to expose, bring light to cases where darkness is trying to lurk to expose. We're seeing it with Me Too movement, and we're seeing it with many of the exposures that are going on that were before never talked about, to unmask where evil is claiming to have the upper hand and to set captives free. Michelle Nanouche, CSB, thank you for taking time to speak with me in good faith. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. That's our time for today, and thank you to our guest, Michelle Nanouche, for generously sharing her stories and her faith. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. 
In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. Email us at ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Our Twitter is at ingoodfaithbyu. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here in Good Faith.